Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? Checking elsewhere around North Dakota, interesting and varying weather didn't help to bring more anglers onto many lakes across the state. Coupled with so many fall activities, fishing has definitely slowed for the number of people out there. However, those going to Devil's Lake continue finding fair to good numbers of small walleye. Try spinners and bottom bouncers in 22 to 25 feet, but look for the transition to fall techniques soon. Jamestown Reservoir still has some activity with anglers using a mix of minnows and night crawlers, but we just don't have any new reports from Lake Ashtabula or Pipestem Reservoir. Out west, the best area for walleye in the Missouri River tail race remains in the spillway channel during the day using minnows, but there's also some night crawler success. Also try crankbits. Look for lots of small fish too. The shoots are producing some catfish and ling, which is a bit unusual for this time of the year when it comes to ling, and that's from boats. There's also some walleye success from shore at night in the tail race, and the wing walls are producing some catfish. Plus, a few walleye are finally starting to show up now. Work deep on the east end of Lake Sakakawea for walleye, but be sure to keep those fish when coming from deep water. Most activity is along main lake flats with fish found throughout the water column. The midsection of Sakakwea continues producing some walleye, but again, it's in deep water. Salmon are still around the 85-foot mark on the east end, but look for spawning fish to start showing up around the thermocline in 75 feet and deeper. You might also want to try Lake Audubon for some walleye and try topwater baits or swim baits for smallmouth bass on Audubon. But now that we're moving rapidly towards hunting season, you might want to practice up on that bow for the deer archery September 1 season opener if you haven't already. And don't forget proper canine nutrition for those active hunting dogs. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Here is a podcast extra. We're going to chat with Doug Schultz, Minnesota DNR, Walkery, or Walker Area Fisheries Manager. And in the first segment, we talked about how we try and get experts, experts in the field. And uh, by the way, welcome, Doug. Welcome to Gone Outdoors. Yeah, hey, guys. Thanks for having me here. So when I was asking around, when I wanted to do a interview on this subject, and I asked uh, some of the people I know, they said to talk to you because you are probably um, more up on this subject than anybody because there's so many of them in your area. And what we're going to talk about is rusty crayfish. Uh, rusty crayfish are native to southern states, but they're an invasive in Minnesota. And it seems like your area, that Walker area, tends to have quite a few of them. There's a lot of them in, 
you know, Leech Lake has them, and a lot of the lakes around that area have them. Um, what are the issues, Doug, with having rusty crayfish in your lake? Yeah, well, a uh, couple, couple of things. You know, native to the Howell River uh, Basin specifically, uh, you know, came over in the bait buckets probably in the 70s and 80s. Um, in Leech, they were first documented in the 1980s, but they didn't really take off until uh, the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, some of the issues with them, and, and a lot of people have seen this firsthand, you know, they're really tough on native vegetation, uh, the, the, the macrophytes, the cabbage, you know, the bigger, broader leaf pond weeds, for example, that classic cabbage you think of when you're fishing muskies. Um, they're really tough on, on that. We see a lot, we've seen a lot of those cabbage beds disappear. You know, bulrush are a little too tough for them. Wild races and softer substrates, really not much impact there. Um, Vegetation is the big one, and then, uh, you know, aquatic in- insects that are associated with that vegetation, as the vegetation goes, so goes the, the insects associated with that. And then, you know, some species where vegetation is an important part of the life history process, such as uh, bluegills, for example, um, as, as you lose some of that habitat, you're going to see some reductions in those populations as well. It's, you know, it's not necessarily a death sentence to those uh, bluegill populations, but certainly is going to force them to be out in the basin and, you know, it probably exists at lower densities. You know, that from, from what I have kind of seen, one of the lakes that we've spent a lot of time at uh, over the last 30, 35 years, we spend a week or two there every year, and there's a lot of rusty crayfish in it, and the population seems to be growing from what I've seen, and I know that because I trap them. Um, and it seems like that kind of treats a lake somewhat it has some of the same effects as what a zebra mussel does where we don't know what it's doing to the fish population but we know that it's changing it because it changes the location of some fish as it seems like that once they take out some of those weed beds that the fish change so that they're no longer in some of the areas that they used to be um would that be a true statement yeah, so the behaviors change, right? So, so as that habitat is is more or less available, you know, the behaviors associated with that habitat change. You know, cabbage beds, for example, you can't fish muskies in cabbage that isn't there, for example. Um, so, yeah, that, that's accurate. It's you know, as the habitat's influenced, um, the behaviors change. It doesn't mean the density is less. You simply gotta you know find them in new places. Hey, Doug, I know that there's certain species of crayfish that are native to our part of the world up here in the, the Minnesota, Midwest, you know, Wisconsin and the Dakotas. How can an individual distinguish between the native species and this invasive rusty crayfish? Easiest way to identify a rusty crayfish, you can certainly jump on, on Google here when you're done and, and a picture will pop up. Right where you would put your, your thumb and your finger to grab them on that carapace, you know, behind the head and right about where the, you know, the arms for the claws attached to the body, right about where you're grabbing your thumb, your finger, there's a couple of really obvious red rusty spots about the size of a fingerprint. And that's the easiest way to identify them. The other is rusty crayfish have considerably larger claws, um, you know, up to a third of their body length, uh, up to a half sometimes. So a couple of real unique distinguishing features that, they stand out pretty easy. 
So, Doug, speaking of natural crayfish, which I believe can be a important part of a lake's ecosystem, um, the rusty crayfish aren't doing the natural crayfish any favors. No, they're, they're they all compete native crayfish. They're more aggressive. And we've seen native crayfish populations decline as a result, uh, not just in Minnesota, but elsewhere. Um, but, but when you talk about food web impacts, um, the, the fish, for example, that feed on crayfish still have that food source available. And or if crayfish biomass as a whole has increased with rusty crayfish presence, then there are some critters who may benefit from that, you have an increase in your food source. Um, you end up, you know, benefiting from that. A great example is, is Cass Lake has zebra mussels and rusty crayfish were present before zebra mussels established. Zebra mussels, you know, took off, started exerting their influence on the food web, pull all that energy from the water column down to the bottom of the lake. Crayfish live at the bottom of the lake. Crayfish population exploded. Perch growth rates on Cass Lake have shot through the roof uh, just in the last few years as a result of, of those changes. And, and we think what's probably happening in lieu of doing dedicated work to identify this, but what's likely happening is they're taking advantage of those small molting crayfish that are available. And, uh, you know, the growth rates have gone up as a result. That That is so interesting. You know, the, the ecology of a lake and how how you guys as the DNR, you know, statewide have to manage all that and how you track everything every year. It just blows my mind the amount of work that you guys put into it because it, it's constantly such a changing environment. Do, uh, do crayfish do anything to fish eggs? I would think that fish eggs would be a huge target. They can uh, be detrimental to bluegill and sunfish eggs. You know, they're, they're colonial nesters. Um, and, and they spawn in warmer temperatures when crayfish are more active. So it's been documented in ponds that crayfish can be detrimental to sunfish production. Uh, we haven't seen that play out here. Um, and really, there's no other documented impacts of direct, meaningful direct egg predation uh, impacting production and recruitment of, of young fish, larval fishes after they hatch. Um, you know, walleye was obviously one uh, in this part of the world that a lot of people were concerned about. Yes, crayfish will eat walleye eggs when present, um, but we have not seen that trans translate to reduced walleye production of young fish uh, as a result. And I think that's largely due to, you know, walleye spawn in, in the 40s and fish are pretty well hatched out by mid-50s and crayfish really don't start getting active uh until water temps get into the 60s. Okay, Doug. So the energy demand just isn't as high. So one of the reasons why I wanted to do this segment is because I trap them. Um, we trap them in, in the, when we're on vacation. I'll put out some traps on the lake. Um, and as long as you have a Minnesota fishing license, you know, anglers, I believe, can harvest up to 25 pounds for their own personal eating. I think that's the regulation. Right. Um, it's in the yep. Minnesota Fishing Handbook, so if you want to try this, I highly recommend that you look it up. Um, and it's a great way to kind of help the lake, and it's a kind of a fun little hobby. Go out, trap some crayfish, and you, maybe you can put a little extra protein on the table. And you're helping the lake at the same time, I, I think. Um, I don't know if it's, 
you know, if you trap 25 pounds a year, if it's a drop in a bucket, you know, it's not mattering. But at least for us anglers, it makes us feel better. Are the, do you know? Oh, and, and they're delicious. Oh, yeah. They're really delicious. And, and the beautiful thing is generally the Rusties are bigger than the, than the regular crayfish. So, you know, you let the, what I do is I'll let the regular crayfish go back no matter how big they are, and then I'll just eat the Rusties for the most part. But, Doug, we, yep. re- we really appreciate you informing us. that We could sit here and talk all day about lake biology, and maybe someday we can do that. But thanks for coming on Gone Outdoors. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys having me. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available. Ben, the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Until next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.